this whole thing, the concept here is that God is good. God defines his goodness himself. He is the one that does that, design God made us. So the first point about understanding the goodness and who God is, is is knowing who he says that he is. And then knowing who we are, that God has made us. And then Jesus won the war. He won the war. He won the battle. The fight that you're fighting, Jesus won that. Um, God has... You plan for his family, the family of God. You're all a bunch of good-looking people. Amen? Amen. Okay, that was kind of weak. Yeah, you look all right, okay? You're looking good today, praise God. Um, Engineering, you're designed for worship. We looked at that last week. We had a time at the end of service where we all came up to the front and we worshiped. What a what a powerful time that was. And we worship the Lord in communion and remembering what he had done for us on the cross. Um, today, we're concluding this with uh, con- the actual construction of the project. <laughs> Building our lives God's way is the theme here. And each one of these things has, is a crucial principle of how we are to do that. And once we understand that God is good and that he has made us, that he has designed us to be part of his family, that he has made us with gifts to share in the family, that he has given us uh, an upright posture, hands to lift in worship and praise. The psalmist reiterates tons of expressions of worship, shouting, clapping hands, rejoicing, singing, playing drums, playing stringed instruments, tons of different things. Um, All of these things and expressions of worship to God. And then all of these things come down to the fact that God has made us for something. He's made us to have an adventure. Amen? God has called you to life. He hasn't called you to, he's called you to death. When, when God calls a man, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, when God calls a man, he bids him to come and die. We understand we die to ourselves, but God has called you to die to the old life and live in the new. Amen? And that's what we want to talk about today. And so if you have your Bibles and you're following along, I encourage you to get them out. You know, I have a lot of the scriptures here on the screen sometimes. Maybe that's a bad habit we've gotten into. I don't know. Nonetheless, if you have your Bibles, turn to that famous little book, Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Can you say that? Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a powerful prophet of God, but he's also a complainer. Anybody complain? None of you complain. No, Beatrice, you never complain about Charles, do you? Nah, never. Oh, man, all right, that's good, that's good. Take an example here, folks. See that? Obviously, I'm kidding. I'm sure everybody is perfect here. Habakkuk chapter 2, and we're going to look at what's happening. The Bible says, the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. (coughs) Now, last year, we did a series through this little book of Habakkuk, and we learned a lot of things. The point is not so much the setting and all that's happening in Israel in these moments. The point is this, that God has a vision that he wants to give his people. He has a word that he wants to give you personally. 
He has something he wants to say to us. So God gives direction and revelation to the prophet Habakkuk. And the vision is given as part of an answer to Habakkuk's complaint. He's complaining to God. In fact, it comes after his second complaint, this part that we just read here. And it, it, we'll, we'll get into the complaint later. But for now, the principle that I want, I want to draw our attention to today is this, that this vision was given um, for a reason. And it was given during King Josiah's reign. Remember King Josiah was eight years old when he became king? And, um, and it shows how God gave, gives vision and where it comes from. Vision is significant for life. It is significant for your adventure. I believe God has called every believer to an adventure. Isn't that good? Some of it leads us to different places, but all of us are called to this adventure. This vision comes in response to his complaints to God. Those complaints are not unimportant, but he tells him a few things to do because of the vision. He says, now I'm going to give you the vision. Now, what I want you to do first, I want you to write the vision down. I want, to, I want you to, how many have ever written down your, your plans, where your goals are, what you want to achieve? Those are important things. That's important to do, to write it down, because the reason for Habakkuk writing it down, because it was going to be sent out by horseback to different places, and it was going to be read as an oracle of God to the people. But God gives him this command to wait for the vision, because the vision is significant. How many know that waiting is hard to do? We are a McDonald's generation. Don't go to McDonald's if you want to live, but I'm telling you, they've got it down pat, right? They've got it down. You go through the drive-thru and they say, y'all have, you know, a Big Mac and a quarter pounder with cheese, a large fry, 20-piece McNuggets, six apple pies. Give me a couple of those ice cream, what do they call them, McFlurries. Um, I'll have uh, your chicken sandwiches. I'll have three of those, extra tomato. Um, give me... Um, we list the list, and it comes to us, and we pull up the next window, and because the order's so large, because you have four boys in the car, they make you pull ahead and wait. I mean, what's the deal with that? I mean, Pam and I go through a drive-thru. We go through, never McDonald's, but we go through maybe another place, and I'm like, wow, that's fast. But, you know, it's like that when you have kids. We go to a restaurant, and we go to a restaurant once a week together, and we, we would sit down. It was kind of our treat. We'd do it once a week. Every, every Sunday after church, we'd go out to dinner, out to lunch, and we'd sit there. And if you're with a large group, it takes forever to get your order. But Pam and I go, oh, boom, the food comes, and we're out the door. And it's just crazy. Anyway, we're in this McDonald's generation. And yet God says this vision is so important. This thing about your life is so important, you have to wait. You were engineered for vision. You were engineered for life and an adventure. When you hear the word vision, you think about sight, or the act of power of seeing something. And it's not that kind of vision we're talking about today. The dic dictionary gives us a, a couple of definitions. Supernatural appearance that conveys a revelation. That can be true. Uh, a thought or concept is another definition that it gives. Object formed by an imagination, like a vision, right? Um, the mode of, of seeing or conceiving something is, is part of it. But scripture gives us definition for vision as well. And I would rather go with that one. Even though those aren't bad, I think that's better than probably Merriam-Webster's definition. Scripture say about division. So vision occurs frequently in scripture as instruments of God's revelation. He tells people things by giving them vision, like or in a vision. 
And from Genesis to Revelation, we have tons of examples. Abraham, Moses, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, all people that received visions. The Bible says that John was on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's Day, and he saw a vision. He received a revelation. Paul experienced countless revelations. Sydney, visions from God. Um, when da God spoke to Daniel, he used pictures and dreams. And uh, when God spoke through Jeremiah and some of the prophets, God told him weird things and to do weird stuff like to lay on your side for months at a time. I mean, God has some ideas about stuff. Why? To teach us things. Vision, I want to give us a couple definitions that we learn from all of these things from Scripture. Vision is a revelation from God through words, pictures, or illustrations that revealed God's will for the life of the person or his people. Let me read that again. Vision is a revelation from God through words, these are important pictures or illustrations that revealed God's will for the life of the person or his people. Never underestimate those things in a believer's life, if you're a follower of Jesus, that might come to you in the most insignificant way you may think or seem, that God might be speaking through that thing to your life. Also, from Scripture, vision prompted actions and words that bridge the past to the future. Vision prompted actions and words. So vision casts us forward into adventure. You know, I recently traded some things around and got another motorcycle. <laughs> I have to keep selling them. The motorcycle money has to stay in the motorcycle thing, though. Anyway. And they have this segment of motorcycles called adventure motorcycles. And they have a higher suspension travel. They've got different things about them that make them more aggressive for going any, on any road. They, they're not just like a street bike that you can go 160 miles an hour down uh, the backside of um, Glacier Park. I wouldn't know, but I, you know, down the highway, they're a little different than that. Sure, they might go that fast, but they have different purpose because they're built to go and explore. I am so grateful that God made us for adventure. He didn't make you just to leave you where you were. He made you for adventure. And life is an adventure, isn't it? Oh, and we start out in life, and we're looking forward to this, and we may barely make it through, you know, puberty. <laughs> you know, grade school and stuff was fun, and that, that was kind of, but then you get into these teenage years, and there's chaos all of a sudden. It's raining craziness all around. And then we break through that, and we go to college, and we're more confused. <laughs> we get into our career, and oh, I have to really work? You know, what is the deal with that? And then we go into life, and then we, we find someone, and we, we, we get married, and then we have children, and that is a whole nother level, Right? So now you, as a parent, for a while, you're responsible for your child's joys and disappointments. That's hard. I mean, when is too much discipline too much and when is too little too little? Because one side or the other creates rebellion. It's hard. And then you get a little older and then you have grandkids and then life starts for real. <laughs> um, but what is vision? Vision is important for our lives. Better yet, 
Let me ask you this personally. I want us to think about this. I know this is more of a clinic this morning, but be patient with me. What is your vision? Not as what is vision, but better yet, what is your vision? So let's dive into that. According to the scripture that we looked at and the examples, I've derived some things. Number one, vision is a clear mental image of a preferable future. A vision is a dream. It's an ambition. It's a desire. To envision means to think ahead or to conceive something that that your heart desires. A vision is is a mental view or image of something good and worthwhile that you don't have yet, that's not actually present. To envision means to imagine, to plan beforehand, to consider the possibilities of that thing. That's what vision is. And either someone has that, they have a fulfilled and they're a more joy-filled person. If a person doesn't have that, ask yourself this, do you have that? They won't have as much joy or peace and you're just getting by. I don't believe that's what God has for you, friends, as a child of God. Another thing that I think we need to understand is vision is discovering that God has engineered you for greater purpose. Remember, our whole thing is building God's, our life God's way. And God would want us to understand that, that his design for us is much better than any plans that we can make on our own. Where, where does vision come from, actually? Well, vision comes, number one, it comes from God. God gives vision. When we get saved, everything happens and changes in our life, right? Do you remember that moment? Maybe you were an unbeliever and you became a believer and you were at that place in life where you're just trying to get by and nothing was going right and when you received Christ, it's like the genuineness of your repentance was echoed to God and you said, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Come inside my life and the Holy Spirit flooded inside you. The grass was greener, the sky was bluer. All of a sudden you cried these tears of sorrow and joy and you're like bust out of this shell and you were a new person. Amen? Uh, Amen? Uh, Maybe we should give an altar call this morning. How many know Jesus? Okay, all right. Well, that's all right. You know, don't fall asleep on me now. God, when God comes in, gives you new hope. It's not that we don't face the issues of life, right? We all struggle But God, it comes from God. God births things in you. Knowing him is the place to keep vision fostering and and moving forward. Secondly, vision comes from you. God places it in you and your priorities, your spiritual giftings, the things that you are naturally gifted at, God will use. And even some things that you're not. Abraham couldn't speak. Moses couldn't speak, remember? And God had to send Aaron to help him along the way. Your priorities, your gifts will help you focus that vision and then your circumstances. Your vision begins where you are now. That's the good news. It's not like, Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. I feel pretty hopeless. The the future seems pretty dull. I think there's only a few years left in life maybe or, or maybe you're up against a difficult situation. You don't know what's next. You don't know how in the world you're gonna possibly get it. Let me assure you, if you're younger, you'll get through it. Tomorrow will come. That's what Annie sings anyway. The sun will come up tomorrow. We've got to face and solve our problems as they come in our circumstances. 
And that's part of it. Vision is, is for you. Vision is not just for leaders. Vision is not just for the examples of those in the Bible. Vision is for you, friends. Vision is all about the future, not the past um, um, and present. It's about what is coming. And it generates excitement. You know, when I was in school, we, we played basketball. And, and preparing to play basketball, you go through these practices and all this stuff. And then there's the excitement of looking forward to the game. My nerves were on end. I was a buffoon out there oftentimes because I, I was so nervous to play in the game. So I was so excited. A vision is for you. Vision is for you to move from where you were and where you are to where you're going. Why is vision important? Because vision produces hope. It gives us hope and an optimistic outlook in life. I mean, as believers in Christ, you may not have this bubbling, joyful, outgoing personality, right? That may not be you. You may be humdrum and sort of, you know, you'd rather sit in the corner. Maybe you're an introvert, right? Uh, maybe you're married to people. That's how we're married, right? We're married to somebody who would rather be alone. Uh, and then the person that, our spouse, spouse usually is the party animal. I mean, you know, in my life, it's Pam. Pam's a party animal. Put me somewhere alone or uh, doing something. I'll be fine. You don't even have to talk to me. I'll, I'll be totally cool with that. But Pam, man, she's got these people. She, she knows everybody. And, you know, she's the life of the party. I guess that's why I love her bazillions. Um, you know, how many are married to a person that's your opposite? That means it's good. It's good. I, think, I see every married person's hand went up in here. That's really funny. Because it's true. Your spouse is 85% what you want, 100% what you need. Amen? Praise God. Every man said amen loudly. Amen. Praise God. Look at what the scripture says from a couple of versions we have here. Look at what the ESV, how it puts it, where there is no prophetic vision. And really that word is, is suggested there. It is the people cast off restraint. The word prophetic comes into play where it, it gives an optimistic future. Like prophetic indicates that there's something coming in this context. Um, the people cast off restraint. In other words, if there's nothing to look forward to, we're going to try everything else. But blessed is he who keeps the law, follows the word of God. Uh, uh, in the, new, uh, the Young's Living Translation, it says, uh, without a vision is a people made naked. It looks like our generation. Everybody can have a, what's that, Pam, you told me? I asked her what it was here a couple weeks ago. Of OnlyFans. OnlyFans is a subscription where men can subscribe to, or women, I guess, and watch naked girls on this uh, independent channels. Women are making millions of dollars doing this, doing, or they can just do whatever, I guess. I, I, I couldn't believe it existed, but. And then look at the new living. I love this. When people do not accept divine guidance, prophetic revelation, they run wild. In other words, there's no... There's no direction. There's no, there's no specific way to go. It's, I'm just going to do whatever I will, whatever I want, whatever makes me happy. I want us to understand something, friends, so true. Why is having a vision so important? Because your vision is the bridge from your past to your future. How many have things in your past? You go, boy, I'm glad I don't have to do that again. How many may suffer from regrets? I'm sure nobody here has regrets. And I look back at some of the mistakes I made as a dad. Those hit me the hardest 
I thank God for his grace. Some of the mistakes I made in my past is, you know, in marriage. I look back and I'm so grateful, Pamela, but I have been married since 1988. I'm grateful for those 35 years. in April, 36 years this April, 35 last year, all for 30 happily married years out of 35. It'll come to you. Anyway, (laughs) the present vision does serve as a bridge to walk us from the past to the future. And vision is the, the eye of faith to see the invisible and to recognize that a decision to get started is right in front of me. I've got this vision, I have to do it. I don't know where to begin necessarily, but I want to pursue it. And it has a motivation that comes with it to make it happen. And it's like blueprints. Blueprints are important for the building. They're important for the plan. They're important for building life. And when we have them, we can begin to have construction. Plans, uh, without a plan, friends, we plan to fail. That's just the way that it is. If you don't have a plan, what's that that Dave Ramsey always says? If you don't make a plan for your money, you'll always wonder where it went. It's true with life. What a blueprint is to the future is like a blueprint to a high-rise building. For someone that never has a vision, it will never get started. The building will never exist. A biblical vision is absolutely essential to building into reality what is conceived in your vision. What has God birthed inside of you? What hopes and dreams do you have for your family? What hopes and dreams do you have for your marriage? What hopes and dreams do you have to achieve certain maybe financial goals? These aren't bad things. Sometimes as a Christian we think, I'm I'm just got to be in a straight jacket in church all the time, uh, tied back, rocking back and forth, singing, Jesus loves me. When God, friends, he wants you to have a vision for your life because you know what that is? That is the greatest witness to a lost world. I guarantee you show up at your job with hope in your heart, with a joy in your life, and people are going to take notice. They're going to ask you to pray for them. They're going to begin to wonder what's wrong with you. You're not depressed and looking to other sources to get plugged into to have some sort of satisfaction in the world. In my high school yearbook, everybody had in there, they had to write something they wanted in. I put right in there, I wanted to be a pastor. Everybody else is making up these goofy things. I want to sit on a fire escape, you know, in Seattle, off my apartment, and play my saxophone, man. I, I mean, serious. They write some of the craziest things. I didn't know it was a joke. I wrote a real thing, but I wound up doing everything there. So since... My vision continues, and I know yours does too. I try to write it down as much as possible. And, and my, my vision is more about relying on God's grace and help and, and to inspire and equip people every way that I can to serve God and to retire in heaven. That's about it right there. That's about it. In my vision, I see uh, Pam and I laughing joyfully and loudly, um, my boys serving God happily, wealthy, married joyfully, wealthy men, abundant life being healthy, and you guys loving each other and loving on each other, enjoying being together, worship experiences that are off the chain, incredible times of prayer where we experience God moving together, eternity together, and of course, riding around America on a motorcycle. That's what's happening. You know, your vision is things that God puts in you and vision things that he gives you for your enjoyment in life. Why 
why did God give me taste buds anyway? Why did God make some things feel good? Why did God do that? Because he knows the human experience. And he gives these things for our joy. That's what uh, Solomon wrote over it. God gives those things for our enjoyment, but too much of it can be bad. Vision gives purpose and adds meaning to life. Oops. And adds meaning to life. Philippians 1.21, what does Paul say? For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. As God's children, we should have a lot of dreaming and vision going on. You shouldn't be able to, uh, you, should, you should be able to, excuse me, accomplish um, all your personal dreams. Don't worry about finishing them here on the earth because you still have eternity. God will see you through. This isn't just for now. This is forever. This isn't just for this moment. This flash in the pan is for eternity. God has given you things for life, for your joy and your peace and hope. And they're all part of his plan. Your vision will help you endure sacrifice. If you don't have a vision, when you, when you run up against that situation or circumstance, you'll be quickly defeated and will not figure a way to get around. You won't, you'll forget the, the cliches of no pain, no gain, no guts, no glory. All that's pushed aside if you'll let your circumstance overwhelm you. Philippians chapter 3.13, the scripture, Paul writes, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Aren't you glad you can forget what's behind? You say, boy, I can't. I recognize that. We have scars. But the grace of God says, yes, look forward. Don't look back. You can't look forward till you keep looking back. Nobody else? Well, you can't feel the future when you're haunted by the past. God don't want you to live like that. Without the squeaks. That's exactly right. Forgetting what's behind, straining forward, I press toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's talking about serving Christ with his life. Everything about your life. Your socks, your microwave oven, your car, your relationships, everything, all to give God glory for. Vision helps us dream. It produces hope. Without, without vision, there's no hope. Vision creates purpose. When we begin to work toward the dream, Hebrews 11.10, Abraham looked for a city whose foundations of builder and maker was God. He, the Bible says he sojourned, not knowing in a country where he was going. In other words, he didn't know where he was going. But he went because God called him to go. <laughs> I like that. What stops vision? The enemy wants to destroy your vision. If you find yourself without hope for the future, or even tomorrow, friends, I want to encourage you today. This service and this word is for you. The enemy wants for God's people to lose their focus, to neglect the plans that God has for them. The enemy will introduce temptation to your flesh, He'll pull at you. He'll try to destroy you. And after a while, we can't hear God's voice. We can't hear his promise because we're so lost and bound in our sin. When we don't have vision, we cast off restraints and we do whatever feels good. That's what this generation is saying. Without repercussions, you can do whatever you will. We don't follow God's word. We follow ours. What causes and stops vision? Being buried in sin. When you and I love our sin, 
We can't hear God's promises. In fact, I know you know people, and I know them too, that say they love God. They were involved in church. They were doing what they could do. They were worshiping Jesus right beside you. I contend that it wasn't because they didn't maybe love him. They just loved their sin too much. And it's not that we get in this place that we don't know it either. It's because we do, because we'll start not being around God's people. We'll start rejecting his word. We'll, start, we'll stop praying like we used to because we know that God has something better and, and we'd rather live in our sin. Another thing that stops vision is open wounds. We get into trouble when we make decisions based on our history's pain. And, and, and vision, uh, without vision, and we, we have this pain, and, and regret and bitterness comes in, and our history's pain begins to be poured upon us. Unresolved issues that, that will, will, won't get healed, and, and what don't get healed kills you. Take it to the bank. What doesn't get healed will kill you. So if we kill the vision, the enemy wants to kill the vision. He wants to kill the plan that God has for your life. The enemy will do what he can to bring a broken focus to your world. Another thing that can stop vision is heavy burdens if we allow them to. When we're headed one way and we start going another way and after a while our circumstances are leading us the opposite direction. Remember God sending Moses <laughs> to free the Israelites? I mean, it's got to be one of the most comedic episodes in all of Scripture. Free the Israelites from the Egyptian bondage. Moses brought them um, the word to them. But the Scripture says they couldn't hear him. Why? Because of the heavy burdens that they were under. They couldn't hear the promise of hope that Moses was bringing because they were so overburdened with the issues of their life. Their slavery was too great. Fear of failure. Nothing stops a vision like this one. If the vision is not bigger than you, then it's not from God, it's from you. If the vision doesn't stretch your sensibilities, if the vision doesn't do something that you can't do, then it's not from God, it's from you. We go another way. We think it's impossible. We, we look at our present situation or we look at our financial status and we go, there's no way I'm going to ever be able to achieve that. There's no way I'm going to be able to help and serve in ministry that way. There's no way I'm going to be able to do that because I just don't have the ability. Everything is against me. The culture's against me. Society's, the church is against me. Everything, everybody's against me. I just can't do it. Who in their right mind is going to let me do this? Well, who in their right mind would build an ark for 100 years? Who in their right mind is going to lead over 2 million people out of slavery through the wilderness with no food or crops? Or I mean, think about this situation. Who in their right mind is going to save hundreds of thousands of children from the streets of Calcutta? Who in their right mind is going to build that business or start that ministry or, or have that family or get married to that spouse or lead in that ministry or have that career? Who in their right mind? God's people. How do we gain personal vision? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? Following Jesus. Prioritizing following Jesus. Look at Acts 4.13. 
When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they, have, they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. What? What are these people? These guys, they didn't, they didn't even go to college. They didn't go to the university. They, they're just, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. In other words, it wasn't enough that they were smart because they weren't, apparently, according to their standards, at least educated, but they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The ability for a couple of fairly uneducated guys to task the Oxford elites was impressive to everybody. There was something that drove them. They were bold. They were without fear. They were unafraid. They had been with Jesus, following Jesus. Do you want what Jesus wants in your life? Are you following Jesus? Do you have the appetites and desires that he says in his word that you probably should have? Are the fruits of the Spirit being exuded from your life? Then, how do we gain personal vision? Allow what frustrates you to clarify your vision. I love this point. Frustration is an indicator of vision. I like that because what frustrates you? There was a guy, an old man, retired, sitting on his front porch, in his rocking chair, day after day, or month after month, just waiting for his Social Security check to arrive. And so he's sitting there, and he goes, one day, I am tired of sitting here, and I'm not, there's, I'm just, this is more. And so he takes out a notepad, he starts writing all the things that he knows. And one of the things that he knows, only he knows, is his grandma's recipe for fried chicken. That's all he knows. So he starts a little chicken thing in, in another restaurant. It winds up being KFC. It was a discouraging thought to wait for the next check to arrive. And it had to be the same way Habakkuk was feeling. He's venting. He's on his porch. And he's saying, I don't know what I have to be grateful for. He has a certain holy discontentment. His frustration has two complaints. His first complaint, God, I'm tired of the wicked having their way in culture. I'm tired. I'm sick of the constant barrage of their junk on television, on YouTube. I'm tired of seeing it. And God responds to his first complaint by saying that he will raise up a wicked enemy to destroy this wicked enemy. This was Habakkuk's first complaint. It seemed to him that God was not answering his prayers and Israel was going to get overrun and hit the wickedness or, uh, and, and Judah was going to get overrun and injustice was all around him. And, and at the time, Josiah was the king of Judah and considered uh, a righteous man in the eyes of the Lord and the book of the law was recovered by the high priest Hilkah and read to the king and the king ripped his clothes and says, this is the way we should be living since we found God's word, since we found God's law, we're going to live God's way. And what does he do? Uh, Josiah the king has all of the wicked stuff tore out of the temple. He has all the male prostitutes removed. He tears down all the Asherah pole and all the worshipers. He dispels. And he decides to make a covenant with the Lord. And he says, as for us as a nation, we're going to follow the commandments of the Lord the rest of the days of my life. Josiah's king, he was king and he dispelled these things, even necromancers, and he got them all out. Wickedness. 
In 2 Kings 23, in fact, it says, and I won't read the whole thing, it says, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor did any arise after him. This is talking about David and Solomon and the great kings of the past. And here is this Josiah king. The Bible says there was no one like him. I mean, we hold, uh, we see the failures of David, you know, and we recognize what we consider him a great king. And, and the, the, uh, you know, it's recorded here that he was higher than him. When Habakkuk didn't realize that God would recognize and honor King Josiah's promises, but instead was still going to punish Israel for the previous wickedness that they had been judged for, um, that he was complaining to the Lord again. He said, how come you're allowing this to happen when for a short time Josiah served God? Sure, but for this expanded amount of time, Israel had been rejecting God forever. And God was going to ensue and or put upon them a punishment. With all that, you can see how the prophet was very upset, right? Why are you doing this? You know, we had this moment in time where we turned back to you. What's going on? How come? God, why? I'm sure you've never said that to God. How come, God? Why are all the wicked around us prospering? Why does it seem like my enemy's going to come in and invade me? In Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 12. Well, there we go. Anyway. He questions him. He says, God, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, we will, not, uh, we will not die. Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes to see evil and do wrong, why do you idly look at traitors who are silent and the wicked swallows up the man more than, than he? And he's really complaining here. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, don't you just sometimes look at culture and go, Why? Why, we as believers, we're trying to follow you and all this wicked stuff is going on. His point of frustration preceded revelation, though. God had a revelation for him and all the frustration was coming up. And I got to tell you, your frustration, right in the middle of your frustration is, friends, I think we have a head start right here on Habakkuk because our frustration is an indicator of revelation. And God brings this revelation to Habakkuk and he says, write it down, make it plain. In fact, it's such an oracle, I want you to send it out so it's read to everybody. What frustrates you? What frustrates you? Not what annoys you. <laughs> what frustrates Lots of annoying things. Housing Secretary Ben Carson, remember him? Worked a myriad of jobs, living in poverty. His mom did to see her son become a brain surgeon and then run for the presidency of the United States, because poverty was a frustration. What frustrates you? Like I said, not what annoys you. There are a lot of people more talented than you that are obnoxious. That's annoying, or whatever. They might just annoy you. But what do you have holy discontentment over? What are you not satisfied right now in? Frustration prompts vision. And vision moves to action. Moses, is 40 years, sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite. And he kills the Egyptian. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone beat to death. Not in a movie, but really beat to death. Scripture says he looks around, see if anybody's looking, and he kills the guy. Buries him in the sand. 
This is in Exodus 2.11. What he did was in response to an injustice, a frustration that he had. So fast forward 40 years. He's 40 years old. Now he's 80. In Exodus, so from chapter 2 to chapter 3, there's 40 years, and he's 40 years old. God sees him, and he knows the frustration he faced. In fact, God said, I've, I've heard the cry of my people. In other words, God was hearing their frustration. What's so striking about it is that Moses left all of those people out of fear. He left everything behind. His circumstances drove him away. So he's out working with the sheep, and God has to come to Moses, remind him of his frustration. God had to remind Moses of the vision. God had to revive his passion for the people. In Exodus 3 and 7, he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their bondage and their sufferings. I have come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And you know what Moses does? He goes, pretty much like, you talking to me? You know, are you sure you got the right person, God? Are you sure you got the right guy? He's looking all around and stuff, and, and the vision scares him. The vision reminds, reminds him of his inadequacies. It, the vision takes him back to the, to the reasons that he ran away in the first place. And there are a lot of people that once had a vision. I think that there are a lot of people, and God's people, maybe who are older, that had a vision of something great that inspired you when you were younger. And you know what? We've forgotten that vision. We're out tending the sheep now. We're doing something different. And I know there are seasons for tending sheep, and I recognize that. And I also recognize the death of visions and that God gives new visions. I know all those things are real, but, but friends, sometimes God's vision for your life and my life are just on pause for a moment until we grow up a little bit. Moses had some growing up to do. He went out and he became a great leader. Friends, don't neglect the God-given drive to start that thing, to do that thing, to see your children succeed. To, don't, don't neglect the vision-filled hope for your future that, that is trying to get stolen from you. The enemy wants to steal it. That's the greatest travesty of this generation. That's the thing that has driven young men into their bedrooms where the average age now is 32 years old for young men to get married and less than half of Americans are getting married anymore. Can we even imagine this world that we're living in today? Everything has been sidelined because no one has a vision for their life anymore. The enemy has stolen it. He has told them a lie. He has told them, you're not the sex you were born with. You're not the person that you are. You're confused. There's no truth in this world. Everything is what you want, so just do whatever you will. Because without a vision, they will. And this is the hope that God has. He says, that's not true. Whoever is telling you that you can't or you're wrong, the biggest enemy that you have is oftentimes yourself. And God says, no, don't live that way. Don't look that way. Don't, don't become discouraged that way because you are more than what you think. Romans eleven twenty nine. for the gifts and God, call of God are uh, good for sometimes. The call and gifts of God are all right. Yeah, for now. The Bible says they're irrevocable. They can't be taken back. That there's nothing in this world. And Paul writes about that, right? Neither death nor life nor principalities or powers, nor the present, nor things to come, 
Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. I think that today, as we wrap this up, one of the things I was hoping to portray in all of this, and I hope the Holy Spirit, I pray the Holy Spirit does this for us today, is for us not to be content with where we are. I don't mean to be a bear because you can do nothing about it. That's what I become when I don't get what I want. But to become wholly discontented with where you are. To have a righteous indignation toward what's in your way. And that, that we pray that God would help us to dream the dreams that he has given and the hopes. Because the enemy wants to steal those hopes, the joys, the peace that God wants to bring for the future in our life, in our marriage, with our children. It's the work of the enemy to destroy such things. You know what it's like? This is really on my heart because the last few weeks, Pam and I have been dealing with a loved one who's, this person has suffered from a lack of vision. And it's hard I know life is hard, isn't it? Life can be tough. But God is the lifter of our heads. That's what it means. He takes us by the chin and he lifts our head. Just look up. I'm grateful for that. Can we pray about this? Stand with me, would you? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this morning. Thank you for this group that's here today. Your love never fails. I pray, Lord, that through this long-winded preacher, we're able to hear your voice above all others. I pray, Lord Jesus, that the presence of your Holy Spirit would speak to hearts and lives this morning. Lord, because each one of us are facing issues of life that surround us, God. Some are facing such heavy burdens right now, Lord, that are difficult to comprehend for, for me. And Lord, I just ask you, we ask you in Jesus' name, Lord, Minister by your power. Touch lives, God. Because the losses of the past don't have to define, Lord, the future that you want to take us to. They can redefine us, Lord. By your presence and by your power, I ask. Lord, for those in this room, or those who have gathered in church today, I pray that the presence of your Holy Spirit would bring a peace in the middle of our storm. Friends, if you're facing the death of a vision or a situation that you don't know and seems hopeless and it stopped you from the future, from your adventure, I want to pray for you today. As a church, we want to pray for you. Not every Sunday we make an invitation for a prayer like this, but I'm going to ask if that's you, and we could just spend a moment in prayer together. The church family can pray for you to help you dream the dream again and envision again what God has planned. If that's you, say, Pastor, I've been beaten up with this. Would you lift your hand? Yep, yep, yes, yes. Thank you. Can we pray for you guys?
Is there, are there any others? Lift your hand. I didn't preach that long. We're going to get out early, so. Praise God. Those you, couple of guys, four guy, four people, I want to invite you guys to come. Would you come up, stand up here with me? Come in front. We're going to have the church family pray with you. There's a couple more. I'll just wait. If you don't want to come, that's fine. We'll pray for these. Anyone else? Amen. Praise God. start calling Ruby Sapphire so I'll remember her name better. Can we pray for these? Would you guys do me a favor? Spread out a little bit. And then we'll get some people to stand with you. Come on, church family. Let's encourage them with prayer. Those of you who would come, just stand with some of these, would you? Hallelujah. Let's just pray. Pray for them out loud. Let them, let them hear you pray. It's encouraging to them. Pray that the Lord would be the lifter of their head. Would you pray that God would re renew their vision? Um, pray that the hurts of the past would be able to be mended. They never go away. They just get further away. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Bless these. Friends, would you just begin, let's intercede for them. Lord, Jesus, touch them. God, your Holy Spirit is the one that brings life and hope. It is your presence, O oh God, above all others. The voice and the promises of your word Lord, we pray, Lord Jesus, that the, your word, God, would be in our hearts, that we would not sin against you, and your word would be in our hearts so that we would know the successes you have for us in our life, God. The victories that you've already won, the hope that you have beyond the despair, Lord Jesus. Bless these, Lord, as our church family. We love them. We ask that your Holy Spirit would touch them. God, that you would impress upon their heart the hope that there is Beyond the circumstances that we are in, there is hope, Lord Jesus, and that nothing in this world is able to take that away. Now, we're going to trust you, Lord Jesus, above this situ every situation. We want to trust you above the present issue of life. Jesus, breathe on us, Holy Spirit, this morning. Breathe on us, Holy Spirit, this morning. Breathe, Lord, on Ruby, Lord. Breathe on Jim, Lord. Oh, breath of life, breathe on Jared, Lord Jesus, and Permetra, God. Oh, breathe on us, Lord. We just wait on you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, new vision, new hope, new life. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Precious Jesus, precious Jesus. Precious Jesus, precious Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 I want to give us uh, an assignment. Would you find someone today that you can encourage? Maybe you say, Pastor, I'm not that bold. <laughs> but part of the healing is being the family of God in the family of God to the family. We have an advantage here. <laughs> Lord, right? We have an advantage that we are the family of God. So find somebody to encourage. Just tell them God's love and peace on them. Um, 
Jesus, I pray, Lord, for your church today as we go. You are good and worthy of praise. We, we commit to you this day the blessings, Lord, of the word received. You are good. Amen. God bless you, friends.